Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. And I am bringing Mark Flock back behind the microphone for a third installment around partnership pathways and the top 10 questions we get most often from our prospective clients and existing clients. Mark has been a hit on the show. Y'all asked me to bring him back. Most of you have had conversations with Mark by now about associate equity solutions for your business. And he's been uh, really great about sharing a little bit of time and being on the show with me today. So I'm excited about today's episode. You know that it's time to brew another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee and to get your pad and pen ready because the Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. Thank you so much for joining me on the show again today. And thanks to Mark Flock so much for coming behind the microphones once again. Mark, thanks for being on with me again. It's a pleasure being back. Yeah, good to have you. It's been uh, these last couple of episodes have been a lot of fun, and I think uh, our our audience is enjoying them a lot because you are getting to go deep into some of the conversations you have with so many of them around creating the right pathways to partnership uh, for their growing businesses. So, on our last episode that we recorded together, Mark, we uh, you and I get a lot of questions around uh, associate equity models, outcomes, and a lot of other um, aspects around partnership pathways. We tackle the first five uh, of the top 10 questions, and let's take numbers six through 10 today uh, and maybe put a bow on some of this for our audience. So um, on, on, we're going we're gonna to start this series of questions off with something that is in your background. I failed to even introduce Mark as a recovering healthcare banker, but he actually is and has worked for a number of enterprise level banks. So he understands uh, debt funding, using uh, uh, debt to build businesses and the ramifications around that um, from a a loan context. So the first question uh, that we're gonna tackle today that we get most often is for growing group practices. And inevitably, um, this is a question that could be asked by either the founder or the associate, depending on what the context is. And that is, okay, we're going to grow the business. We're going to borrow more money to buy or build additional locations. What happens around that future debt? Who's on the hook for it? What does it mean? Uh, and, and how does that future debt impact uh, some of the dynamics around partnership. Uh, Mark, do you want to put back on your banker hat from years gone by and dig into this one for us? Sure, but I thought I got away from that. Uh, <laughs> Sorry to bring ago. you back into it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Perrin. It, 
So it, it can get complicated, and I and I hate to say that, but it, it really can in these situations because whether you're considering a buy-in structure, uh, structured buy-ins, uh, an earn-in, an earn-in model, um, it, it depends on a lot of different things. Really, at the end of the day, and a lot of it's within the bank covenants is is their requirements and and what they're going to require next. Uh, if you add a partner and and if they're paying you cash. Um, or, or capital, I say for for a capital purchase, say they're, they're buying ten percent or twenty percent or twenty five percent. Typically, those proceeds will need to go straight to paying down the loan uh, first and foremost. A lot of clients haven't thought about that. It, it's once again that requirements typically in the bank, the bank documents that you you got about a hundred pages from, and you read about two uh, when, when you did it. So you want to take a look at that first and foremost. Um, not all banks will require that, but in in my experience, most will. Uh, so you want to at least consider that everything that you've personally guaranteed at this point uh, will remain and, and will continually personally guarantee on loans until you get to a certain level higher up. And and that's where Polaris can kind of help you from a from a growth aspect and and working with lenders that maybe help you get to the next next level uh, from a structure standpoint is, is that you're going to personally guarantee on everything moving forward. Now, will the, the associates or the minority partners? It depends. Um, it, it depends on their their percentage of ownership. Um, it also depends on the bank and, and what they require. Uh, the the one thing you got to be careful of, especially if you're offering buy-ins, is you know let's just say it's a three hundred thousand dollars buy-in for for ten percent. Well, ten percent is typically not required uh, to sign on any any debt moving forward for your business. However, three hundred thousand dollars may require a lien. Um, and a corporate guarantee of your business. So indirectly, you are signing on it um, because it's a lien on the business um, after your current lien. It's a second position lien, uh, typically. And it's got a corporate guarantee of the business. So things to consider, and that's something that we can kind of talk through and and bring in our debt partners if need be to to kind of help, you know, maybe restructure if need be on a certain situation. But it, it, it can get complicated quick and, and you have to consider all those things. Um, if you just set something up and or you just do a buy-in without thinking that, you could be in violation of a covenant too. Um, or you could wrap yourself up and and present your pre- prevent yourself from growing faster because now you have two different banks, two different lanes with corporate guarantees and and something's got to change on your next your next financing need. So yeah. it, it's a it's a that's a lot. Um, but there's a lot that goes into that. That's usually about a three-hour, not say a three-hour conversation, but it could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I th- look, all of our clients and everybody, most everybody uh, listening to this podcast are, are growing their businesses uh, by borrowing money from banks, right? So, we we call our, our uh, the clients we serve doctor-founded and debt-funded group practices for a reason. Um, and how you use debt funds and and the way you understand loan covenants, loan structures, and all that kind of stuff is critically important to um, ensuring that the bank continues to fund your growth strategy. All right. I mean, we don't want to create an Achilles heel in the business unknowingly. And and how we use debt funds is uh, important. The covenant structures around what those loans are and the cross-collateralization and guarantee is is certainly important. So this is something that uh, may not have ever occurred to you, 
but it obviously occurs to us. And, you know, that's why you engage us to deliver solutions with all of these types of contacts involved. And, and when we build a financial model for the business and pressure test it and create the equity outcomes, all that kind of good stuff, we also get a look at the debt structure of the business. And so these are conversations that we're having with you as the founder, with your associate around their personal comfort level around debt and debt structure and taking potentially personally taking on more debt, um, but but also the ability to ensure that the business won't be um, uh, held back from achieving the ultimate goals in, in the future. So just a, a lot of stuff that uh, we need to nail down. And once again, when you have people like Mark on board that have experience in a prior life doing all this, it's I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's certainly easier. So um, job well done and, and great insight from you on that, Mark. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. When we talk about um, earned equity models, be they profits, interest, or restricted stock units, um, these are, are models where the outcomes involve the founder uh, taking dilution. You go from owning 100% of the business to something less than that. And the associates earn equity in the business through their superior performance, not necessarily by writing you a check. Whenever we structure earned equity models, there is always something called a vesting schedule. So Mark, why don't you take a second and remind our audience what a vesting schedule is and why it's necessary um, in these models and what we're trying to achieve with it in terms of the ultimate outcome. Yeah, absolutely, Baron. It, it's it's a uh, it can be complicated, and it's typically maybe the first or second time you, you guys have all heard that before, and it's probably the first time an associate has ever heard of a vesting uh, a vesting schedule because it, it's just not common in the dental space whatsoever, which is why we've created created this to, to solve a need uh, for both the associate uh, try, trying to get equity in the business, but also a way for you to retain them at, at the end of the day. So the vesting schedule is really to protect you as a founding partner, founding owner, uh, that, that that associate doesn't come in if it's restrictive stock units or RMUs, comes in, has really good two years, first two years, earns a ton of equity, and says, hey, I appreciate the opportunity you've given me and all the equity you've given me. I'm actually going to go leave and do my own thing. Please pay me out for the equity I've earned because there wasn't a vesting schedule. The vesting schedule, I mean, you could equate it to the, the golden handcuffs. Um, but it's really just if you're giving up equity, real equity in the business, and the, the associate leaves, which you can't prohibit them from leaving, and it, it allows you to essentially they're not getting all of that equity. If there's a five-year vesting schedule and they leave in year two, they're only getting one year's worth of of that five-year vesting period. And the reason for that is it's you got to stay along for the journey and the long haul. And if you do, you'll reap the benefits of all the prior year's uh, vesting schedule, years of equity being earned. If you leave early, that's fine, but you'll leave everything that's unvested on the table. And, and unvested is, is, like I said, if it's a five-year vesting period and you got three years left. You're leaving three years of that reward on the table by leaving early. That that also allows them to to want to stay longer because it benefits them, but it also benefits you at the end of the day. So it, it's it's really key, um, and like I said it's mutually beneficial because you're giving them equity and you're just asking them to stay long to retain the entire amount of it. 
I don't think it's a whole lot, quite frankly, because they're not paying you for it. They're 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 you're being given it over time based on uh, their performance and, and going above the bar e- each year. So that's kind of it at a, at a high level, but we can talk through that in, in in great detail for a while. And that's something that's typically difficult for an associate to kind of grasp at first. But once they see it, you know, when we present it to them, it starts to make a whole lot more sense when you see it on a diagram and, and a flow chart. <laughs> yeah, very, very well said, Mark. And I mean, I, the one thing I might add to that on uh, on the vesting, you mentioned the the phrase "golden handcuffs," and you know if they if the associate leaves prematurely, they're always going to be walking away from some you know unvested shares, and and it's sort of the 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 disincentive to leave, if you will. But you know, one of the things we don't talk about that often, uh, but occasionally I've said this to to associates is that you know, hey. The founder is allowing you to earn equity in the business and you're not writing him or her a check the way you said earlier. And that's true. But the founder doesn't have the opportunity to leave prematurely. If he or she decides to leave, that means we're all leaving together, essentially. And, you know, the the if the associate wants to exercise their right to exit, they have the right to do that. But what they don't have the right to do is, to your point, you know, earn a bunch of equity, spike the football and then then walk off, you know, in short order uh, and and have the uh, owner essentially be obligated to, to pay them out. That's that's not a great outcome for anybody. And then when the associates earn equity in the business, they don't want to run the risk or they don't want to think about any of their associate colleagues uh, doing the same that I just said. That would make them feel pretty bad as owners, too, I think. So uh, it's always important not just to think about things from the associate mindset standpoint, but from an owner mindset, because when our associates earn equity, they become owners. Hey, it's Perrin. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to learn more in depth about partnerships and associates, be sure to download our white paper called Creating Sustainable Success in Attracting and Retaining Associates. And if you want to learn more granular detail about buy-in and earn-in structures, as well as the legal aspects required to facilitate all of it, you should join us in Scottsdale on October 11th through 13th for our Scaling from Clinician to CEO Summit, because there'll be three different presentations dealing with all of that. And you'll have access to some incredibly bright minds over those three days. I'll drop a link in the show note for both the white paper and the registration for the conference to make it easy on you. Now, back to the show. So let's stay on this topic a little bit and and talk about uh, what if an associate does decide to leave early? Uh, what what does that look like? I mean, this is not, you know, if they earn equity that they're locked into the business forever and they can never leave. They, they can. I mean, there is that option. Um, and there is the option for the owner or founder to ask them to leave prematurely. So what, is, what does that look like, you know, if a, an associate does decide to leave early? Yeah, that's a great point, Brent, because I, I get asked that both by the, the founding partner as well as the associate. Uh, typically when I speak with them uh, on that call kind of early on in the process before rolling it out. And to your point, and kind of what I mentioned earlier, you, you can never force someone to say, you know, stay if they, if they wanna, if they wanna leave, they can, but there's there's two different 
two different trigger points, I guess. Is it for cause or is it is it not for cause? And, and if it's it's for cause, and this will be laid out in your operating agreement. So once again, it, there's all these things. The reason why it's important to have you know Polaris look at this with with the attorney is that there's there's different provisions in there. You know, if you're being let go for cause, if they're violating the non-compete or the non-solicit, they lost their dental license or that, you know, they got thrown in the jail and they're not coming back for a year. There's a lot of different things that there's, you could be, you know, like I said, uh, for cause in there. And typically their shares would be sold back or you would buy them back at, at a heavy discount because now there's a brand issue that's that's been damaged by by them or something they've done. Um, or something you have to replace, and, and, it, and it's time-consuming, it's costly, uh, and it's it's something that they've you know caused to the business. So typically, we would recommend you know a fifty percent reduction in, in the value of the the vested shares. So you would pay them out on you know if they left on anything that's vested at that point in time. If they were leaving for cause, like I said, they create a brand issue that's you know you just have to let them go to right now. Then th- those vested shares would be discounted fifty percent. Um, they're always leaving on the table what's unvested. So if they choose to leave, they, they ha- and a great example is, hey, I got to relocate back to close to family or my spouse's family. That's fine. You, you can't hold them back. And it's a great reason to leave better than most others. Uh, so and in that case, you know, you would pay them out on the equity that was vested uh, under the earned equity model. And it's all spelled out in the operating agreement, of which we kind of help help you guys build. And it's usually over quarterly installments. And and the reason for that is we don't want your bur- your business to be burdened, essentially, for having to take out a loan and make those payments. So if it's spelled out, if it's paid out over three years, five years, or sometimes I'll even suggest an attorney to put you know at the board or managing members' discretion, because if it's only twenty five thousand dollars and you have a ton of money in the bank. Why not just pay for it and, and call it a day and not have to worry about it over a three-year period? But if it's $600,000, we don't want the practice to take out a loan and, and burden the business to try to pay off that loan over the next five years and pay interest on it and, and have to deal with getting additional financing. So there, there's plenty of reasons for that. So it, that, that's kind of the, I'd say the quick version. It, it can be a much longer call, but that's kind of the quick version of those those events that could happen. Yeah, very, very well said. Look, I mean, businesses are not perfect, you know, and they change over time and partnerships change over time. And sometimes they they fail. Things happen. Right. And and they're sometimes legitimate reasons for for uh, you to ask somebody to leave and for somebody to ask to leave. Uh, and sometimes they're maybe nefarious reasons. And we just want to try to protect the downside risk for the founder and in, in all of those aspects. And once again, this is a, a great way uh, for you to to learn more about uh, corporate governance and how you um, really operate a company with multiple partners in it. Um, and and the um, uh, you know, the the way you govern that business to to greatest effect um regardless of ownership percentage it's it's truly important to really understand the rhyme and the reason behind all this um so mark the last question for today's podcast and this is probably one that we could record an entire episode around two um is a liquidity event selling the business you know, let's let's talk about because again, this is n- not all of our clients have an exit intention, 
um, or not all of them have an exit intention that I would say is imminent. Maybe they want to sell the business way down the road or have the option to, but they, they're not in any hurry to do that, um, which is fine. But for those that do, they want to make darn sure that associates aren't going to get in the way of that. Minority partners aren't going to hold up the process. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about selling the business just from a, a voting construct piece. Uh, and then maybe also, um, you know, from a, a valuation methodology, if there's like, um, uh, if there's ownership at a practice level, maybe we can dive into both of those here together. You want to maybe take it from the top? Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's always an exciting point in, in your journey uh, to, to get to that point. You know, it's, it, it's kind of what, what, it's not always why you started the business, but it's the, 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 the benefit and, and realizing what you've created and, and seeing that economically as well as something to pass along potentially to future generations, if that's the case as well, uh, from an economic impact. So when you're, when you're going through, you 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 want to make sure your partners, major, ma, even your minority partners, are are happy with the potential buyer, and and that's where it's important because there's usually a a, a post sale event, um, and sometimes if, like I said, going through the voting aspect, you want to understand who's all involved, expectations, um, thereafter, who's staying along, how long. There's a lot of different things that go into it. Um, but you want to make sure everyone's happy at the deal table and you don't want any surprises. You, to your point, Perrin, you don't want one of your minority partners that's 3% trying to hold up a deal because they're not interested, whereas the other 97% is interested. So you, you want to make sure there's not a unanimous vote, which I know you mentioned in a prior podcast, You know, being a poison pill. And in that example, the 3% owner could hold up the sale if there's a unanimous vote. And you never want that to have happen um, when you're ready to sell and, and exit at that point in time. So th there's a, a lot of things that go into that, but that's why creating the right operating agreement up front with your attorney and Polaris is key because it'll spell out everything that you need to and what happens when, when that moment comes um, and, and how that's going to work. And, and that's why it's it's crucial so you don't have any I gotcha moments. Um, because it does happen. Um, we, we've seen it with clients that came to us, you know, for sell site at the last minute that were not prior consulting clients. And you want to clean up everything and and have all the partners involved and excited for that opportunity, not just dragged along uh, at, at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, very well said. I think the key thing is we go back to that you know, uh, supermajority stakes, uh, being able to to outvote anybody if you do want to sell the business and having the right to do that. And then the corporate governance piece around uh, maybe a larger issue if you've got a lot of minority partners who are productive associates who don't want to sell the business, even if you can outvote them, you know, they're they're a productive piece of the business. And if they don't want to sell, then you you probably have some conversations to be had around you know, who the buyer is, life after liquidity and things along those lines. So there's there's that, there's the vote piece and there's the practical application piece of it for sure. Um, in terms of valuation methodology, we want to dig in just a little bit more on, on what this might look like practice level versus uh, management company level. Yeah. So obviously when we look at evaluations, uh, they're EBITDA based because uh, that's typically how your buyers can be looking at it. 
unless you and maybe if you just have one location and you're having someone come to you it's a solo doctor that's one location um which is not the not definitely not the majority of this audience probably the minor, minority at some point in time so we're, we're trying to help look at everything and, and build it up and then also project it out from an earnout standpoint i understand earnout standpoint but from a um uh, basically, basically a value standpoint for each of the partners when we're looking these at these earned equity models. So even even when we start these programs, they're we're typically looking at maybe five, six, seven x valuations um, based on where you are today, conservatively speaking. But and, and we'll project it out that way and, and keeping it conservative for the same way moving forward. But if you build a business, you know, let's just say it, it's a three, four, five million dollar EBITDA business. It's probably worth north of 10x, and and the nice thing about it is if these partners come along for their journey, and they should in that in that case financially, in most cases you could argue, then they're going to reap the benefits on those extra turns on the multiple. So that that's key, and and the part in building this. Also, there there's the opportunity for the these associates on any unvested equity. Uh, truing up at the time of you know change of control or the liquidity event with with the buyer, so that's additional equity that 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 could be given to them as well. So all the more reason why um, everyone would have a strong interest, maybe along with you in selling the business at that point in time, because there could be there could be rollover equity to the the buyer's entity, whether it's at a practice level or a DSO level or sub DSO a sub DSO level, which we could. Like you said, Perrin, we could have a whole hour-long podcast probably about that and, and the pros and cons for each of those because it does matter um, at the end of the day. But that's something that we want to look forward, look out and look forward thinking with it because it's important. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's... I mean, I don't, I'm sure you have some stuff to add there, Perrin, but that's kind of the... There's a lot that goes into that, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, like you say, this is like a Pandora's box type of an answer, you know, when it gets into this. And I mean, it's, I think it is important to think about um, as you're structuring legal documents. If you do, I mean, if you do have an intent to sell the business, it's worth it to talk through all this, you know, um, or an imminent intent to, to, to sell the business, I'll say. And, and the reason I also state that is because. Almost all of the models we build have an internal valuation methodology built into it um, for the the earn in piece, and that's usually around six times EBITDA. Um, but building a larger uh, business that has a greater volume of EBITDA is going to value much more highly in that than that. So, you know, does the does the value does the ultimate sale valuation flow all the way through to the associates uh, when they're in a practice level ownership structure, uh, or is there some type of a uh, a cap or a ceiling as it relates to the number of turns they're going to get above that six x internal? So you know we can get kind of wonky with some of this stuff. Probably a little bit difficult to follow on a podcast as well. But suffice to say, there are a lot of different ways to to um, uh, look at valuation, not just from an internal standpoint, but from an ultimate outcome standpoint. Um, and just worth it to consider that if you know that you want to build a business that's built for exit, you know, in the not too distant future. So, um, but good, good stuff, Mark. This has been, uh, it's been a lot of fun again today. I think we've gone deep into uh, associate equity in the top 10 questions that we 
see and hear most often and hopefully given our audience some good stuff to think about. And, you know, it goes without saying that, you know, Mark, you take the vast majority of our uh, partnership pathways, associate equity type calls from people. And I know you're on the phone <laughs> frequently with people with, that have a lot of questions beyond these that we've uh, even shared today. So I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join me on the show and our, our audience is, uh, is a lot better for it. So thanks for being on with me, buddy. I appreciate it. It's been fun. It's been a trip. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it has been. We'll, uh, we'll do more of these uh, for sure going forward. And obviously, for those who are going to be joining us in Scottsdale uh, in a couple of months, October 11th through 13th, uh, Mark Flock will be there with us. And you know that there will be a lot around uh, the associate equity co uh, constructs and concept out there in Scottsdale. So, Stick around, I'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up today's show. And thanks once again to Mark Flock for joining me on the show today. That is, uh, I think, the third uh, show in a row that he's been on and is a wealth of information. And we love having him on our team. And I know a lot of you are getting to know Mark pretty well from all the uh, Partnership Pathways uh, solutions we're providing out in the marketplace. Before I, I wrap up today's show, I wanted to um, share one more thing about the Catalyst Project. I've gotten a lot of inquiries about this, uh, as I kind of figured I would. And maybe I botched some of the early messaging on it, so uh, which is a distinct possibility knowing me. But that being said, I wanted to share just a couple of thoughts uh, with all of you in the audience on on a handful of things. One, you know, uh, the way I thought about this was that there'd be a, a training involved, like a, an hour session where a concept, a tool, a subject uh, is taught and, and discussed lightly. And then there would be uh, a follow-up session a couple of days later that would be more akin to a free-for-all. And that free-for-all would dive into some of the principles of the training, uh, the, the prior session, but it would also kind of be where the magic happens, honestly. And that would allow many of you to bring the questions you have, the, the heavy lifts, the big problems, the things that are keeping you up at night that might be related to what I discussed in the prior session, and they might not. So, so first things first, the thought process of mine between the two one-hour sessions each week was one part was going to be uh, a training, and the second was going to be more akin to a, an open forum, if you will. Uh, and that is in an effort to really provide maximum value to all of you. Um, the second thing is, all of these, whether it's a training or an open forum discussion, are going to be recorded. Uh, so if you want to go back and review any of it, or, or if you miss something, uh, everybody has something that comes up, um, there will be that opportunity to, to go back and replay, review, re-listen to any of the content and the material. Um, uh, so that that it will be in a, a video vault, if you will, or an audio vault for you. Uh, and the third thing that's kind of interesting is we've got more non-dentists in the audience for this than I thought, uh, which is kind of cool. I've gotten uh, inquiries from optometrists, psychiatrists, veterinarians, uh, a lot of different professionals about this. And, and I knew our reach wasn't just unique to dentistry, but I didn't really know that there were more uh, non-dentists in the audience. So um, that's kind of exciting. I hadn't really thought about the, the catalyst as a, a healthcare professional dynamic where we're sharing a lot of things 
and, and it's equally applicable in a lot of different healthcare verticals. But that's the company that DeWalker and I aspire to build that is not unique to dental. It's bigger, broader, and has a, a wider range. So maybe the Catalyst project uh, is a start to all of this. And it obviously goes without saying that there are a lot of you who are in the early stages of contemplating building a group practice, or maybe you've just added your second location and some of the subject matter that we're going to share in this uh, is going to be relevant, timely, and immediately applicable. So I hope you'll consider joining me. We do have seats still available, um, and we'll link to the um, uh, landing page in the show notes. And you are obviously more than welcome to uh, send me an email directly at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. If you've got more questions about it, I'm happy to try to trade that with you. Our um, organizational meeting will be this coming Friday. Um, kind of uh, some housekeeping stuff, resetting the table, talking about how we work together and what's going to transpire and all that kind of stuff. That'll be one o'clock Eastern uh, on Friday the uh, 4th. And uh, for some of our friends on the West Coast who are contemplating uh, uh, joining this uh, project, um, I'm also possibly going to come up with some alternative times that may be able to better accommodate you. Uh, this is a shot in the dark, guys, on the first one. <laughs> so it's not going to go smoothly and I'll learn a lot from it and we'll get better for doing it. And I'm trying to accommodate everyone who's interested all at the same time. Don't worry, there's plenty enough of me to go around. So I hope you'll join in me, join me on it. And I appreciate all of you joining me on the uh, show today. I really appreciate all of you being in the audience and giving us the rave reviews that you do. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.